and welcome to the Attribution Marketing Podcast, where we help you get more out of your advertising dollars. On today's episode, we have Nick Heights. Nick is an experienced ad sales veteran helping enterprise brands launch national and international campaigns to raise awareness for some of the largest companies in the world. Nick, it's a pleasure having you on the show. How are you? That was a nice little overview you did. I didn't even provide you that beforehand. Thank you. I might steal that and repurpose it for every cold email that I ever send to someone. No problem. It's yours. That's my my gift for being on the show. So why don't you give us your version as your career developed in the ad space? Going to my first internship in college, my goal when I had no idea what I wanted to do in my life ultimately was to just work on things that like you could see and feel in real life. And that brought me to wanting to work in sports. My first ever job was at Madison Square Garden. If you've been there before in kind of the early 2000s, you would know that it was a dump and needed a, a kind of refresh. So they went through what they called the transformation, um, which is when they made it nice. They made all their corporate suites fancy with waterfalls and fireplaces in them. Um, and I supported the team who was selling that as a form of corporate entertainment into Fortune 500 companies, mainly in the greater New York area. So from there, I parlayed that into a role at Wasserman Media Group, uh, which is a big sports agency. And, and the big project that I helped support as a 21-year-old who didn't really know what he was doing was the naming rights at um, the Jets and Giants Stadium, which formerly was the Meadowlands and it is now MetLife. So we sold that to them. It was a big, you know, multi-million dollar, multi-year partnership that took a lot of interesting ways to approach it in terms of getting MetLife to spend, um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to do that. After that, I got my first full-time gig at Turner Sports. Um, so, you know, the properties that they have are the NBA on TNT, MLB on TBS, March Madness, saw the way a big complex organization functioned, which I think was like, you know, essentially the equivalent of getting an MBA after college and advertising. And then after that, I, I did essentially the 180 and I went to a startup called Mike, M-I-C, uh, which was really growing during this time in digital media where all these companies were starting. They were getting a lot of venture funding. I learned a lot of uh, things as it relates to advertising sales. I was able to do relatively big programs with brands like Goldman Sachs, Dove, Seventh Generation, Mercedes, Google, Marriott, um, many others. And then um, Mike was acquired by Bustle Digital Group, which is another large kind of digital uh, native outlet. They own Bustle and Nylon and Elite Daily and Romper and Mike and Inverse and Input, which was a cool experience to kind of be absorbed into a larger company. I was there for about a year and a half, helping lead an ad product that we had called Brand Newsroom. And then uh, came to Twitch in May, which is a really cool place to be right now, given how many people are on the platform and just how big gaming and, and you know streaming has become. Uh, so it's been an exciting spot. When you sell the naming rights to a stadium for hundreds of millions of dollars, how are they measuring performance and how are you presenting sort of the value? There is a value in raising brand awareness and getting eyeballs and things like that. So from someone on the front line, how were you positioning that? How are you selling that? And what value does that enterprise level brand get when they make that purchase? I'm not going to go MetLife specifically, but I'll talk kind of 
higher level about that type of deal where you know a brand is investing a lot of money and there's not your typical ROAS associated with it. I think at the end of the day, um, there are a couple things, right? I, I think first and foremost, um, brand perception is incredibly important. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize, but you know, when you go to the supermarket and you're shopping for deodorant, you're typically probably going to feast your eyes on a brand who you've seen and heard of before, and not necessarily the one that you've never heard of existing. There are a lot of ways to kind of unwind that. Um, brands need to be in places where the consumer sees them and also has a strong association with them. So if you're just talking about naming rights deals in sports in general, um, there are all sorts of ways to quantify the amount of people who see a brand's association with a venue, whether it's uh, when it's on TV, whether it's if you're close to an airport and you're flying over it and you see the big brand logo. I think when you start to do the math there, you're truly getting to a scaled place where like millions and millions of people are seeing your brand and your product and have a good association of when it's coming up. Um, and that's something that I think there was a point in time when Facebook and, and Twitter and Google and Instagram were really coming up that a lot of marketers were like, oh, brand awareness doesn't really matter. I can just you know pump performance dollars into these places and I'll sell products that way. But I think what you're seeing when brands invest too heavily in that strategy is that when the brand goes away, no one really cares um, because they haven't really invested in the, you know, what the brand stands for and why it's important. So I do kind of more of that upper funnel enterprise deal, but it's also something that um, when done correctly, definitely can, you know, have high rewards for the brands who do it. I think you unpacked that very well. We had a guest on a couple of weeks back who talked about this notion of being needed, uh, or excuse me, this notion of being known before you're needed. And he mentioned the exact same point that you made, which is if you want to advertise for performance on Instagram, Facebook, Google, that's fine. And you might have a positive return on ad spend. That's fantastic. But if you stop showing up and interrupting people with your offer, nobody cares. There's no brand equity that's baked into that product or service when you're just transacting that commodity on social networks and Google. And I think what you're highlighting is that enterprises and uh, big sort of ticket marketers realize that and they're investing in the brand, in the logo, in the consumer perception. Exactly. And there's a brand who I think has been doing a very kind of topical and relevant job of that, um, which is Peloton. And I don't know how closely you've been following their marketing evolution, but last week they unveiled a new spot during the World Series. And it was very much like a cool, motivational, this is the variety of people that use the bike. And I think it was their moment when they realized like, okay, we need to start telling our story again, because we can't just rest on our laurels. There's always going to be this infinite demand for our product. And the best way to do that is to buy a big splashy TV ad during the World Series so that people start to have that one-to-one -one relationship with the brand again. When, when these guys are making these big ad buys, do they really break it down and try to evaluate it in terms of cost per impression or, you know? Yeah, I think every brand approaches it differently. You're going to have some who are um, very sophisticated about their marketing mix and how they measure it. You're going to have some who are okay at it, and then you're going to have some who aren't very good. Um, what I've seen is that 
the brands who do it really well measure everything. So um, if you are doing a higher funnel awareness play, are you running a brand study? Are you able to show that as a result of someone seeing this like high glossy ad about a brand's purpose that you were able to increase uh, affinity and likability and awareness? And if you have that, then you can at least associate some sort of brand result as a result of um, this non-lower funnel marketing approach. So uh, I, I definitely think brands look at everything kind of in their unique form um, and want to make it so that every dollar they spend is being measured in some way, shape, or form, albeit differently. Fair point. When you're working at Mike and you're doing more of a content play, talk us through how search engine optimization was layered in there and your social strategy and that you guys were creating unique content, selling ads against it. How can you make that content play work? Obviously, Mike was attempting to be an enterprise level content play selling ads to enterprise level advertisers. Is that a feasible business model? And how would you make it work if you could go back and, and take another shot at it? The whole, and let's just call it branded content, right? So content on behalf of a brand via a publisher or platforms handle. Um, I think that's always going to be important because most people know an ad when they see an ad. And if they're seeing the ad from the brand's page, then it clearly is an ad. Um, if you're able to integrate the brand uniquely and natively into said publisher or platforms, kind of uh, cycle, then you're definitely doing a lot of things there. You're not only um, lending into like the association that that publisher has with their audience, but you're also leaning into their worldview, their creative best practices, all this stuff. Um, and, and in my experience, that typically makes for a better ad. In terms of like, one of the questions you asked at the top was the social strategy there. And I think one thing that we saw effective with these bigger brands is that if we were going and doing a like 20 piece of content series about whatever it is that they cared about we were giving them usage rights to also leverage that content on their own existing handles these brands were also using the content we were making them to stand up their own channels so it kind of had that dual effect where not only were we running it on our channels geared towards our audience but then they were using it on theirs to kind of speak to everybody else that we weren't necessarily hitting on our own. So that was interesting because like, I think the number one challenge that a lot of these publishers have had is that they rent their audience, they don't own it. And what I mean by that is, um, unless you are a major platform, the majority of your engagements and eyeballs are coming from Facebook, from Instagram, from Twitter, um, in places where you don't own who you're speaking to. And, and that's bad for a variety of reasons. One, um, the economics aren't in your favor. Two, uh, if that platform changes their algorithm, your audience goes away. Um, and three, the ad experience itself is living on that platform's page and not your own, which does a lot of things from data insights, everything else you can kind of leverage across the board. So one thing that I'm excited about in my current role at Twitch is that everything does happen on the platform. Um, which I think provides a very compelling case whenever we're speaking to brands. And I think that's what makes some of these emerging platforms more interesting. And it's kind of the tip of the spear where you can get a little more bang for your buck. And it's in these kind of pockets that you can really get some quality messaging out that that moves the needle. 
across the spectrum for marketing. As it pertains to Twitch, what's the difference that you see when you're able to leverage your own sort of owned platform versus essentially trying to create content on a domain like Mike, but then get eyeballs to that content using other people's platforms? How big of a difference is it? I think it's huge because it's all about environment. Um, everything that we do now lives within the Twitch platform. So if you're a brand and you're spending money with Twitch, you're seeing all of your media and all of your executions run on Twitch. You're not, like I said earlier, renting it out to a Facebook or somewhere else. So, you know, when you go into a room and you work at a company where you kind of have that end-to-end -end relationship, what you see is what you get. And also me as the person at that company, I can only sell you that, right? Like you can't go out anywhere else and get a really cool custom experience on Twitch because no one else sells that we do. Whereas if you're working for a publisher where you're distributing your content on Facebook and you're pitching a creative idea, anyone else can pitch that creative idea and it can live on Facebook from anyone else's handles. Um, there's not really as much unique IP in that formation. So uh, again, I think it all kind of comes back to do you rent or do you own? And if you own your audience and own your platform and own everything that you do within it, um, it just makes the idea that you do bring forth to a brand very unique to you and not really repeatable anywhere else. Talk us through a little bit about your experience with what we call omni-channel marketing. So these enterprise brands, they're really trying to reach their audience and their prospects on all channels. So yeah, they have the naming rights to the stadium, but they also run radio, podcast, OTT, television ads. They still do print and they're definitely all over digital for Google and on social networks like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So when you were putting these packages together, these big enterprise level brand awareness campaigns, are you thinking through with the client those other parts of the campaign and how they work together? Or is it more of a standalone unit? Just wondering from your perspective on the sales side, if you were integrated and in discussions with them or their agency about how this campaign would impact their other campaigns. You always want to put forth a platform first approach. What I mean that by that is if we were doing a program um, and we were creating custom content for them and I met a publisher who has, you know, a Twitter handle, a Facebook handle, a Snapchat handle, um, Instagram, Pinterest, whatever, you wouldn't create one asset and run it across all five of those you would create five different assets for each platform because each platform not only has a different, you know, ad experience, but they also have formats that'll perform better. They have mindsets for the individual who's on said platform. Um, so I remember seeing some study a few years ago that like the top performing brands on Facebook or Twitter were like financial services and travel and something else. Whereas on Pinterest and Instagram, it's going to be more, you know, your fashion, your streetwear, more of your culture first things, and that you should use those insights to every asset that you create. Um, so it's really sounding channel marketing. Yeah, I definitely think that if you're kind of owning the idea and the creative concept, you definitely want to make sure that you're approaching each asset in a way that is truly native to the platform is going on. Have you seen the Social Dilemma documentary on Netflix? Yes. What is your opinion on said documentary in the future of the uh, ad sales model using social networks? 
brands are pragmatic about the role that they play in users' lives, especially on social. And I think a lot of companies are, are trying to be additive to the experience instead of interruptive and, and um, like cannibalistic, for lack of a better way of phrasing it. Are there people that do that? Absolutely. But the, the bigger brands who um, care about their reputation and care about perception are definitely paying attention to a lot of these things. Um, and, and I think in many cases are using their brands as, you know, a force for good, a force for entertainment rather than a force for um, the negativity that we see exist within that documentary. Not where I expected you to go with that, but good point. I think what you're saying is bigger brands that have maybe a longer term vision are not going to play in that way. They're going to get quality content, quality messaging, not try to interrupt you or absorb your attention, but rather give you something that you truly care about. The, the brands who are doing it right are really trying to entertain and to meet their consumers where they are rather than, uh, you know, in places where they're interrupting them. So well, well put. Where do you see the industry as a whole big step back? You know, where do you see it shifting over the next, say, five to 10 years as consumers basically are trying to take back their privacy to stop being tracked? And so all these networks, Google and Facebook, they're buying up consumer data platforms and they're sort of going sideways because if cookies go away and their ability to track you and remarket to you as you browse the internet, they're going to find an alternative way to get that done. Consumer privacy is at odds with advertising performance. So what's the solution? Where is it going to go from here? Yeah, I think there are, there are two trends now that I'm paying attention to within, you know, kind of the advertising and media industry. The first is more and more companies and publishers are building their subscription business um, and that really is helping them with two areas. One is it's giving them a secondary or in some cases tertiary revenue stream so that they're not entirely dependent on advertising. Um, and then two, when you get all of that information as a result of people um, kind of paying for something and, and opting in more in that leaned in experience, you can then use that data in kosher ways to bring forth better targeting opportunities for your advertisers. So I think you're gonna see more and more brands build up their subscription business. Um, I think the one company that everyone is kind of just like waiting to see what they do in media is Netflix. I know Reed Hastings is like very adamant that they will never run advertising, but if I could uh, you know, theoretically work anywhere uh, if they were standing up their advertising business outside of Twitch because I love my job, um, it would be Netflix just because obviously everyone loves the brand and they could probably bring advertisers into that experience in a really unique way that going back to my earlier points um, wouldn't disrupt people. I'm not saying just like run commercials and pre-roll and mid-roll, but think of like, you know, stranger things coming out um, sponsored by Coca-Cola with some subtle product placement type thing. So the second thing um, that I'm also excited about is this whole idea of kind of a, a creator and community-driven platform. Um, you think of Peloton, you think of Twitch, you think of TikTok. Like these are places where 
people are interacting with their peers, where they have that one-to-one -one relationship with the people that they follow, whether on Twitch, it's the streamer, um, on TikTok, it's the creator, on Peloton, it's the instructor. And when you kind of become part of someone's daily um, habit or their media diet, uh, you definitely have a much stronger ground to stand on and you have more staying power. And, you know, vis-a-vis -vis as it relates to advertisers, you have a platform where your community is really engaged and where you can bring brands into the mix and drive really cool results for them and do really impactful execution. So, um, yeah, I'd say the two are just the overall subscription business and what that means. And then two is these environments where you have really talented creators who are getting paid for their work um, and with communities who are really rallying behind them and who want to engage with them on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, you heard it here first, guys. Thank you so much to Nick Heights from Twitch for expounding upon the ad sales industry and what his experience has been. So if you are interested in learning more about what Twitch can do for your advertising campaigns, be sure to reach out to Nick. This is the Attribution Marketing Podcast, signing off.